welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. Today, he's encouraging us to simply pray with a yielded heart. Every time God initiates grace with you, you have a decision to make. You must activate your will. Will I obey God or will I obey myself? Will I bend my will to God or will I try to bend God's will to me? In this scenario, Jesus is giving the example to us that we must get to the place in prayer where we say, it is not about my will. It is about your will. Do you remember when you were learning to drive? Some of the most basic rules of driving have to do with knowing who has the right of way, when you can go, and when you need to let the other car go, right? In fact, sometimes there's a sign to tell us specific moments that we need to yield. And at those intersections, a failure to yield could lead to some catastrophic, devastating consequences. Well, we're in a series on prayer, and today Pastor Trent takes us to the life of Jesus— who perfectly yielded himself to the will of his heavenly Father. Here's Pastor Trent. I've got my Bible open to Matthew chapter 26. We're continuing our Simply Pray series, and uh, today we kind of focus on peace. And I just want to let you know, this message is not for everybody. This message is only for a certain group. So I'm going to dismiss a a particular group of people right now. You don't need to stay for the sermon. You don't need this message. This message is only for those who need peace in their lives. So if you have perfect peace, you don't need to waste your time hearing this message. We'll we'll wait a moment for those exiting now. Uh, Oh, look, everybody's decided to stay. Let's just kind of be transparent Let's stop pretending we've all got it together. We don't have it all together, and we don't have perfect peace. If you want peace, I would invite you to learn to simply pray. So that's what we're going to talk about here in a moment. And uh, if you've been with us through this series, you remember at the beginning, one of the prayer hacks we gave you was a template. We turned the word pray into an acronym. And if you will pray this way, it will keep you from being... Uh, distracted in your prayers and give you some focus. First thing that we want to do when we pray is not ask God for anything. Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. The first thing we should pray is our Father, hallowed be thy name. And so before we start asking him for a bunch of stuff, let's just consider who he is, ascribing glory to his name. You are holy. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. You are just, you are merciful, you are kind. And God, I want to acknowledge those attributes. So praising God is kind of that first aspect of prayer. The second one is to repent because as much as we've acknowledged God's holiness and kindness and goodness and mercy, then we need to get to the point where we say, but I'm not any of those. And God, I need you to forgive me of these things in my life. Wash me thoroughly of my sin. Cleanse me from my iniquity. Thank you for your forgiveness. Now we're on a platform where we can pray. And uh, now we can get to the A, the ask. 
ask, right? And you can ask God for anything. We're asking God for big things, for breakthroughs in relationships and breakthroughs in strongholds in our own lives. You can ask God for anything. How many of you have prayed for something specific in the last six weeks and you have seen God specifically answer that prayer? Raise your hand. Okay, if you don't have your hand in the air right now, you need to learn to ask God for the big things that you want to see happen in your life. Ask Him for big things. He wants you to ask Him. A few years ago, during Christmas time, there was an airline that did a Christmas promotion. The name of the airline was WestJet Airlines. They fly into Canada. And so uh, what they did was they decided to set up a kiosk in the terminal. And as the passengers were coming to board the plane, they scanned their boarding card and they met a virtual Santa who actually was in another room on the other side of a camera. And as they scanned their card, Santa immediately knew their name because of the scanning of the boarding card. And he said, ho, 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 what do you want for Christmas? And everybody was delighted to, to list for Santa what they wanted. The little ones asked for toys and trains. The teenagers, of course, asked for iPads and technology. The men asked for golf clubs and snowboards. And there was one sweet grandmother that said, I would like a ticket to fly to see my grandchildren that I haven't seen in such a long time. And so, and so they, they had the delight of kind of listing their request to Santa. Well, they boarded the plane, and what they did not know is that the airline, while they were in flight, flooded the shopping malls. And they went and gathered all of the gifts by name, everything that they had asked for. And then they wrapped those gifts up. And then when the passengers went to the baggage carousel to pick up their luggage, what they found was hand-wrapped gifts, exactly what they asked Santa for, coming down the line. Now, how many of you would want to be on that flight? Oh, yeah, I like, I like this. I like this. Well, there was one guy that when Santa asked him what he wanted for Christmas, what he said he wanted was socks and underwear. <laughs> How lame is that? Now, listen, if you're somebody that gives socks and underwear for, for Christmas, you need to upgrade your gift giving, okay? But worse than that, if you're somebody that your expectation is that what you're going to get under the tree this year is socks and underwears, you need to upgrade your asking. <laughs> Tell people what you want and need. And unfortunately, this guy reminds me so much of my prayer life. I ask for so little. I expect so little. Hey, we need to be asking God to do things that are impossible for us but very possible with him. You have permission to ask God for anything. That's what we're doing. We're learning to simply pray. But there's one more step in prayer. And let me just tell you, this one is the only one that will provide peace. It's yield. After you've asked God for everything you want, things you need and even things that you want. Now you have to get to the place where you yield the right to give you anything. Until you get to that place, every time you don't get what you want, 
you will give up on prayer. And you will forsake God. And you will go back to trying to manufacture your own solutions in life. And you will not live with God's peace. It's only in the yielding to God, the right to be God, that we get perfect peace in trusting Him with our lives. Here's what we're going to learn about yielding in this message. Asking is about getting help from God. And you have permission to go to God to get whatever help you need. He invites you to come for help. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. But yielding is about giving up your right to play God. And if your theology of God is kind of like Santa that you can ask Santa for whatever you want and he, he delivers the Christmas goodies under the tree, then you have a wrong perception of God. We have to understand that we have a God who asks us to yield to Him. We don't use prayer as a tool to get God to yield to us. We're going to see the perfect picture of that here in Matthew chapter 26 as we look at just a snapshot of the prayer life of Jesus. I want you to see it here in Matthew 26. Let me set the context for you. This is the last day of Jesus' life. He is about to be arrested. He's about to be dragged into court and unjustly tried. And he's about to be sentenced to death on a cross. And the night before that happens, he spends the night in prayer. And we pick up, pick up the story in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane is an interesting word. It actually means olive press. Here's the first thing we're going to learn. It's this, that we need to keep moving from trouble to transparency. Keep moving. No matter how far you've come from prayer, how, no, no matter how little you've come to prayer, I want to invite you, keep moving into the place of prayer. And the first step is to move from trouble to transparency. Jesus was facing the greatest trouble of his life, the cross. And he went to the place of prayer. And he went to this place called Gethsemane. As I told you earlier, it means olive press. And actually, this garden where Jesus prayed is still in existence. It's on the western slope on the eastern side of Jerusalem. I was there back in April with my friends, pastors from other harvest churches, and we prayed right there in the Garden of Gethsemane. What's interesting about these olive trees that surround this garden, olive trees can live as long and longer than 2,000 years. And so the trees that are actually there today quite possibly were there when Jesus prayed these prayers. Those trees were listening to those prayers as he prayed to God. And I want you to notice here that Jesus didn't go alone. He invited his disciples to go with him. So how many disciples did he take to the Garden of Gethsemane? Uh, the correct answer is 11, because one has already forsaken him. Judas has already forsaken him. He's about to betray him. So he's got 11 disciples. But I want you to notice the movement here. Notice the movement throughout this passage. Then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there. 
to pray. You see, Jesus must have known these guys weren't quite ready to go as far as Jesus was going to go in prayer. He actually does take three of his disciples with him. We pick up the story in verse 37, taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. We know that that was James and John. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, sorrowful and troubled. And only these three guys could go there with him. You know, as you first begin to pray, maybe even as a child, kind of that infant stage of prayer, you you tend to pray prayers that sound like this. Give me, give me, give me. Then you, you grow up a little bit in prayer. And it's like, well, that's an awful selfish prayer to pray. And so you begin to pray at the next stage of life, help me, help me. Then you kind of grow up and it's like, well, I'm probably just asking God for a lot. Look, you, you go a little further in prayer and, and you pray, use me, God, use me. But then finally you get to the place of prayer and you realize this, God, it's not about me. At all. That was the place that Jesus was going in prayer. And apparently, only these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, well, he even had a category for praying like that. And so he took these guys with him in prayer. Let me ask you a question. Do you have somebody that when you are so troubled, when you are facing the most dangerous thing in your life, when you are so exceedingly sorrowful that you are weeping and hurting and you have no solutions, do you have somebody that you can take with you to the place of prayer? You're thinking of a name? If you're not thinking of a name, let me tell you why you don't have a name. Is because you haven't been transparently honest with how much trouble is going on in your life. It could be that you're wearing a mask. You're pretending to be that things are better than they really are. If you're going to get to that place in prayer, you're going to have to be transparent about how bad things really are, about how much there is a lack of peace in your life. Maybe there's turmoil in the marriage and maybe the kids are out of control and the finances are a mess. Or maybe you just don't have a category to get everything organized and the the, the to-do list is too long and the assignments are too hard and, and I don't have enough friends. If you'll get honest, at least around this place, you'll find some people that can go with you into that kind of trouble and that kind of sorrow. Jesus had these three guys, and he invited these guys to go with him. He didn't want to be alone in prayer. Did you know that the vast majority of prayers that are prayed in the New Testament are prayers of gathered people together praying with and for one another? That's why the prayer meetings of our church are so essential. That's why we invite you at the end of the service to come and have a pastor pray with you. We encourage you in small groups to be transparent and open and vulnerable about what's going on in your life so that you can be loved and cared for and prayed for. Maybe another way to answer that question is this. Are you a good partner in prayer? Was anybody thinking of your name earlier when I asked them, 
who can come with you in prayer. Maybe you need to make yourself more available to say, I'll go with you there. I mean, you've got trouble. You've got sorrow. I will pray for you and with you through this season. That's what it means to go to the next level in prayer. Move from trouble to transparency. I don't have it all figured out. I need you. I want you to consider these two words here. Look down at verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here with me and watch with me. Verse 39, and going a little farther. I love that phrase. That means that no matter how little you've prayed or how much you've prayed, Jesus is inviting you to go a little farther in your prayers. So he, going a little farther, fell on his face and prayed, saying, very familiar prayer, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was transparently honest before God about the fact he did not want to experience what he was about to experience. And so he goes to his father and like, I'm not going to pretend that I like this. I'm not going to pretend that I signed up for this. Did you know that God invites you to come with full, honest transparency about how you feel about what you're going through? God, have you noticed this trouble? God, have you noticed what a grizzly bear I'm married to? God, have you noticed how out of control these children are? God, have you noticed how angry Pastor Trent sounds today as he's preaching? You just be transparent. Don't pretend. God knows what's going on in your life. And you don't have to pretend. Jesus didn't pretend. Even Jesus in his humanity said, listen, I do not want to face the pain that I'm about to face. God, would you fix it? Be transparent. Take your trouble to God in complete transparency. There was a a tweet that went viral. I don't know if you saw it. There was a mom that told about her six-year-old son who got an assignment in school to write a letter to Santa Claus. Well, the six-year-old boy was not real thrilled about the assignment, and so this is what he wrote. He said, Dear Santa, I'm only doing this for class. I know your naughty list is empty, and your good list is empty. In fact, your life is empty. You don't know the trouble that I've had in my life. Goodbye, love. I'm not telling you my name. I like that little guy. This is a guy that doesn't believe in Santa Claus. Now, I don't mean that he doesn't believe that Santa Claus exists. He just doesn't find Santa Claus to be all that inspiring. But you know what? He's honest about it. He's not pretending. He's just letting the guy know your life's kind of empty. I mean, how empty? How, I mean, how cruel is it that you give gifts only to the good kids? I mean, you got this list. You put the good people over there and the bad people over here, but you don't even pay attention to the bad people. Do you know what the tragedy is? There are people sitting in this room that have a Santa Claus theology about God. In your mind, you think that God only gives gifts to the good people. 
So do you know what you're spending your time doing? You're trying to get on the list. You know what the real theology of God is? You're all on the naughty list. That's bad news for you. Here's the good news. God is willing to give good gifts to people that got on the naughty list. But it's only through His grace. But you've got to be willing to acknowledge what God already knows. God, I am not good. God, I have broken your laws. I don't deserve anything from you. You see, you see what he did on, on the note? On the left side, he, he drew wreaths. On the right side, he drew skulls. <laughs> a troubled kid, right? I mean, he knows he's on the naughty list. No wonder he doesn't like Santa Claus. You shouldn't believe in that kind of a, of a God. You should believe in a God who wants to qualify you as good even though you've been naughty. And Jesus was going to the place of trouble. What, what was this trouble? I mean, Jesus was perfect. What, what kind of trouble did Jesus have? Do you understand, as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the trouble and the sorrow that he was facing actually began in another garden. It began in the Garden of Eden. I don't know what's on your trouble list. If you just, if I ask you to write, like, you know, list your top 10 troubles and your top 10 sorrows, it wouldn't take us very long. We could kind of fill up that list. Do you know that everything on your list began in the Garden of Eden? In the original garden, Adam ran away from God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus ran toward God. In the Garden of Eden, Adam broke God's law and incurred death. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus obeyed God's law and brought life and peace. In the Garden of Eden, Adam bent his will away from God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus bent his will toward God. And all of the trouble that began in the Garden of Eden, Jesus was feeling the weight of in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's why he was so sorrowful. And it was so painful to him. Do you know what happened? Another writer in the Bible, Luke, tells us that Jesus began to sweat in anguish and those sweat drops turned to blood. That's how much pressure and anguish he was under. And yet, under that, he ran to God. What's the lesson here for us? Whatever trouble you're facing, whatever sorrow you brought in, whatever lack of peace, let it drive you to the place of prayer. Tell God, I don't like it. God, would you change it? Will you fix it? You can ask God for anything. But in the midst of all of that emotion, you've got to get to the place where you yield your will to God. You can bring all of your tears, all of your anguish, all of your anxiety, all those huge emotional things you have to bring your emotion 
under your will. Do you see it there in the end of verse 39? He says, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus had a will. You have a will. You know what your will is? Your will is your decider. It's like a light switch. It's either your will or it's God's will. And you get to switch it in a thousand different circumstances all day, every day. Your will is what you decide what you will or will not do. Can I share something with you? God has been so gracious. God has revealed himself to us through his word, by his spirit. Every time God initiates grace with you, you have a decision to make. You must activate your will. Will I obey God or will I obey myself? Will I bend my will to God or will I try to bend God's will to me? The reality is you are following Jesus Christ as close as you have decided to follow him. Every step you have chosen, I will or I will not bend my will to God. In this scenario, Jesus is giving the example to us that we must get to the place in prayer where we say, it is not about my will. It is about your will. After I've asked, after I've pleaded, after I have sweat drops of blood, I've got to get to the place where I say, I surrender. Lord, do what you want to. My life is yours. Moving from trouble to transparency. Secondly, moving from temptation to praying. Look here at verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Um, Jesus is confronting Peter's will. Do you know why Peter was asleep? Because he decided, I will choose to spend this hour sleeping when Jesus wanted him praying. Verse 41, watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so Peter should have been praying when he was sleeping. And the reason is because Jesus knew what was coming for Peter. Jesus didn't want him praying because somehow that was going to benefit Jesus. He wanted Peter praying because praying was going to benefit Peter. Trent Griffith has been showing us that the chaos or the lack of peace that we experience can often be traced back to a failure to simply pray with yielded hearts. And Jesus modeled that for us, didn't he? Not only in the Garden of Gethsemane, but with his entire life. If you'd like to learn more about living your life yielded to God, contact us at harvestgranger.org resonate. Or come visit our church for a worship service. It's called Harvest Bible Chapel. We meet in Granger, Indiana, and St. Joseph, Michigan. 
For more information about service times and locations, just visit harvestgranger.org. Again, that's harvestgranger.org. Well, have you ever been discouraged because God didn't immediately answer your prayer? If so, join us next week as Pastor Trent points out that you're in good company. In fact, the same thing was true with Jesus. We'll hear the conclusion of this message next week. Thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word would resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.